Welcome to Lineouts by Earful of Dirt, bringing you conversations with rugby newsmakers about the greatest sport on the planet. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to Earful of Dirt Lineouts. I'm your host, maybe someone else's host. I don't know, but we'll find out. Uh, you can find me at the Strobro on Twitter, uh, and we've got a a guest. I'm going to try and sort of get, um, if you've noticed on Twitter, I have legends. I want to talk to legends <laughs> of the game. And we've got a legend of the game today. Uh, he retired once. Someone um, threw a, you know, cast their line and the, the lure floated in, in the river. And, uh, you know, he just bit it because he was ready to go. Peter. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. Uh, you know, navigating these crazy times without rugby. Here I am. I got back into it for two weeks, and then they uh, pulled the carpet out from under me. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, oh, man, you know, we were talking about it before the beginning of the show, and it's just how much different it is, I guess, now than even, like, before the season started. Uh like things have changed in this world in like six weeks completely. Right. So for you, I mean, you work in, you're like project manager in construction, right? So right. you're done for a yeah. while. So yeah, things are shut down for me. So I, I flip home. So, um, and run a little construction crew. So, I mean, for me buying something on the market right now has to be, you know, realistically a long, long time from now before I'm comfortable to make that type of decision. So yeah, man, I'm sitting on my hands and it would have been nice to have rugby to go through this with and, uh, you know, have that going on. But um, yeah, for me, I mean, both my, you know, passions and both my streams of income have basically been shut down for the foreseeable future. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I would say a stream of income for me is also shut down. Yeah, yeah, right. I, was right. like, I was like, ah, crap. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's the reality for a lot of Americans yeah, right now. I mean, yeah. I would say I'm lucky in that my my partner, my my, my longtime girlfriend, uh, you know, she works for the government, so uh, she's all right. And financially, yeah. like I'm in grad school, I'm in law school at ASU, so things are okay. And I was you know, very good with my finances when I served in the army. So I'm not like a lot of people where, um, out there, you know, you, they, people talk about how, um, most Americans can't afford a $500 emergency. Right. And I guess we, in our house, we talk about it. It wasn't a mistake unless it was a thousand dollars. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and, and it's because the reality is like, I guess when it comes to finances, the number a thousand really just starts for for normal people, right? Right. Um, just change everything. The moment you have to spend a thousand dollars on something, whether it was um, you made the wrong turn and you hit somebody, or right? You lost money in the stock market because you made a bad trade. Right. I used, to, I used to do some day trading when I was a, yeah. a long, when I was, I was, this was stupid. I got to tell you, uh, <laughs> I was a long, so I was on the division staff at Fort Bliss. And at the same time I was on the division staff, I was trying to day trade. Okay. Uh, when th this, this is the most, try to be a long range planner. That's, 
developing brigade level exercises and then also pay attention to the stock market. Right. You will lose money <laughs> or you'll get fired. What are the two? Yeah, true. <laughs> when so, I was at U of A, I was, uh, I was working at the little information desk at, uh, I don't know what it was, the student union, I guess. And I was, I tried to get into it a little bit myself and just realized how over my head I was. And it was, it was well beyond my pay grade at $8 an hour at the information desk at U of A. <laughs> yeah. So, where do you want to go? Do we want to start with this season? Do we want to start? Um, oh, do we want to go backwards or do we want to go forwards? Ah, man, I want to go and let everybody know how old I really am now. But uh, I feel like for the well, longest time I was the young guy on the rugby field, and now here I am, one of the oldest. Well, as long as you, um, as long as you and Ryan just shave, you'll be all right. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I've been growing it out. It's probably the longest my facial hair has ever been. <laughs> It's like uh, Ryan is the one guy I like Ryan Matias for those that don't pay attention when he has long hair, he looks like he's straight out of the princess bride. Right. Yeah. yeah. He's perfect. It's like, Oh my gosh. (laughs) So I remember Ryan. So obviously he's from Tucson and I went to school in Tucson and um, his older brother was a very good friend of mine. Ryan's a couple years younger than me, a year or two younger than me, but I got to know Ryan's brother really well. Um, and Ryan wasn't at the U of A at the time, uh, but he was always coming to trainings with us and everything. And it's just so crazy to me that both he and I made it out of Tucson and played on the national team together at different points and now in the MLR together. It's just so crazy that Tucson produced that, you know, and that I had that relationship. I mean, you guys, like, for a period of years, right, U of A was this factory of just putting high-level rugby players out. I, I mean, not that that has, like, stopped at all, right. I mean, there's there's still all Americans coming out of U of A. Still like national like MLR level players coming yeah. out of U of A because you had the um, Kyle was it Kyle Rogers down right, in San right. Diego. Yeah. Um, so like there's there's a lot of players still like coming through the U of A system, even though you know the coaches are completely different from you know. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that right there is testament to Dave Sitton. You know, I mean. I was thinking about it before I was coming on this and I wasn't sure what we were going to talk about and where it was going to go. But I was thinking, I was like, man, you know, like, so I, I don't know if you know this or many people know this, but I didn't play rugby until I got to U of A. I'd never even touched well, rugby. I, I did enough research to know yeah, that. Right? Yeah, I'd never I even seen a game. I had no I, idea. I, so I would say I saw a, I touched a ball for a yeah. project when, okay. when a sophomore year in high school. That's when I got, like, we tried to form a club. Okay. And then every, and then every, so right when we sort of figured it out, and this was oh four, yeah. Uh, everyone went off to, we all went off to our our spring sports, right. and then it just disappeared. And, and to this right. day, there is no like youth club in that okay. area of SoCal. Like it's, no, so, hey. yeah, yeah. So everything, like all of, I would say all of rugby in SoCal, um, on the youth level is focused towards the beach. So. And we were inland, which kind of sucks. Okay. But yeah, where were you? Where'd you grow up? A place called Laverne. But interestingly, there's um, Eastern LA County. Uh, best okay. way, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Okay. The claim to their cl- the claim to fame of San Dimas. Okay. Is San Dimas High School football rules? Well, they <laughs> suck. I went to the other school in the school district, Benita. Gotcha. And, uh, but cl- like the, the colleges, like two colleges play rugby in, in the area and there's some senior clubs, but there's just no youth 
rugby whatsoever, which is gotcha. you know, interesting and makes it. But so I was like you and like really didn't know what rugby was until college. Yeah, right. So you, so you get to U of A, who, who drags you to what is now sitting field and um, hands you so an oversized egg? <laughs> yeah, so I, uh, I met a guy at the rec center. And he's wearing an Arizona rugby shirt. We started talking and he asked, you know, if I wanted to play, would I be interested? And it just so happened that the very next day they were having a, uh, like an informational meeting for all the new guys. And that's one thing that U of A did. And I assume still does so well is that they make it a, uh, a community that's not, you know, it's, uh, they want everyone to have a place. So there's no cuts, there's no tryouts. I mean, if you want to show up and put in work, you know, they'll, they're happy to have you out there. And so, I mean, it, I was thinking about it and I was like, if there was a tryout for a rugby team, would I even have shown up? I would have just assumed I, I didn't have any experience. I want to make it, you know? So that the fact that there wasn't any tryout was probably what led me to actually go. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, right away I realized it was something I enjoyed and wanted to be a part of. So I put in the work and I mean, I, it was probably the best decision I've ever made in my entire life. Like I put I in don't, the work, put in the work, only a freshman, all American. <laughs> Only a freshman All-American. <laughs> uh, thinking about it, like, you know, the last 10, 12 years of my life have been dictated by rugby, you know what I mean? And it's been a pretty wild ride. And, you know, I don't think I'd be in Seattle doing what I'm doing right now if it wasn't for rugby. And, you know, who knows where I'd be if uh, had I not found rugby. It's just so crazy. I can't even, like, it gets kind of scary to think about where I'd be had I not started playing rugby, you know? Yeah, I I, I, I got to say the same in a, in a lot of ways. It's just rugby is this interesting sport where you end up, it becomes a, a, a big, I guess, a life uh, a lifeline or lifeblood of your life as you go forward, especially if, I mean, you, you know, uh, like being with the Saracens, you probably saw this for a lot of times, like you have transitive players that come into right. the club. Like guys will pick up a season and then you'll never see them again. Right. And that's sort of the the way of it in in American rugby. And and you would see guys. I, I, I was like I played for two years with the the Scorpions in El Paso, and then two years with the Fort Bliss Warriors, which are gone yeah. um, because yeah. Army rugby just it it it, it just disappears. You know, um, it, like Fort Hood is a, I think Fort Hood and Fort Bragg are two really good clubs that have had enough rugby people around them that like, even though they have numbers issues sometimes that they're just, they're able to, to hold on at least. Okay. And then the, the four, four bliss club comes in and comes out and it's just, you know, it is what it is, but it's just interesting to see who, who comes in and, and who comes out. And I saw that here, a little bit in Phoenix, I guess I was the transitive person because I have okay. I haven't I didn't go I did not I broke my collarbone not playing rugby. I was cycling and I haven't been oh, wow. back to my club since yeah. to play or right. practice. I mean I've gone out and you know supported them in games and just hung out, but I haven't been a, a club player. And then when you start covering MLR all the time, I'm like, when's when's fall rugby? You know, yeah, let's, right. let's do fall rugby because spring is, you know, professional time. But Done. Yeah. but for so you get there on your coach sitting, what's the you know, what was the vibe like then? Because I talked to I talked to Adam Mashinsky, uh one oh, of yeah. your 
one of your pals. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you, you created, you guys created, uh, you know, with all these U of A players in MLR, you created your own tribal system. <laughs> uh, some people are, uh, you know, Seattle fans and some people are San Diego fans. It's just kind of interesting to see that, yeah. you know, people who have no connection to those cities is like Adam. I remember in season one, he was like, yeah, I'm going up to, going up to Seattle. Oh, right. He did come to a game. That's right. Yeah, um, it's cool to look at it and say, you know, like, look at all the colleges that have, you know, more than one player in the MLR, which isn't many. You know what I mean? Well, maybe, maybe now it's a little different that the league's grown, but the first year and second year is, you know, there's not that many college players that make it to the MLR, you know, with so many foreign talent and so many players that come to the U.S. from other countries even before the MLR was around. So to look at, to, at U of A and see there's three or four guys – and it's like we're not a Cal. We didn't, you know, we didn't have the the program Cal had, or even a St. Mary's or Cootstown or anything like that. So the fact that three of us were just in the league because we worked hard and we bought into it, you know what I mean, it was pretty cool for the for the school and for us. And you know, it's our own little brotherhood inside the MLR. So I think that is kind of like uh, looking back at it. It's one of the coolest coolest uh, things I had to take away from my time at U of A. It's just we were kind of always always felt like the underdogs and no one really paid all that much attention to us until sevens came around. But now we've got a hand, small handful of us doing well in the MLR. Uh, and it's been pretty cool. And hopefully we can continue that tradition coming out of U of A. I know uh, kind of starting to get some more recruits and Sean Duffy's a little more active in that arena than say a Dave Sitton was. So um, hopefully things keep trending the right way. So when did like so your freshman year you make it to Junior All Americans right and then you end up going on tour to Kenya with Junior yep. All Americans how I guess for you I you know it's always I always ask this question not when you made it you know I think the Luke Bryan and a bunch of people say this is like if you always if you think you made it you screwed up right. Yeah. Right. It's not a question of when you made it. It's like, when did you right. think you were? So the question is, when did you know that you were actually a good rugby player? Um, That's a good question, man. Um, I don't, maybe when I got my first cap with the sevens team, it was like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm on a national level here. And like, this is once after my sophomore year, I kind of saw that's the way my game was probably geared more to. Um, so that was kind of a goal for me. So when I made that, it was kind of like, it was a big pillar in my career for sure. A big, a big step that I always wanted to take and was glad to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, kind of like what you say, you know, like, you know, after the first, just after the first MLR championship, I changed the background of my phone to Michael Jordan. I mean, I grew up outside of Chicago, so I changed the background of my phone to Michael Jordan holding up three fingers after he won his third championship. So, I mean, that was kind of the goal. So it was like, you keep moving it, you keep pushing it. I mean, for look at USA rugby, right? You get a ton of guys who make one tour, who make one, get one cap with the 15s team, make one tour with the sevens team and you never hear about them again. Um, and it's probably because they don't just keep pushing, you know, they hit that and they you think they've made it and they stop working for it. So for me, it was never um, where I've gone. It's where I'm going. You know, our sevens coach at U of A, Chris Crone, who uh, was at St. Mary's played at U of A, but coached at St. Mary's and then would help us out for sevens. His saying was always the journey is the reward. So it's always, you know, that the people you meet and the things you accomplish along the journey are so much more valuable than the actual um, accolades you might receive. 
But I, I don't know. I don't know if I ever made it or what, what did it. But I think that that first sevens tournament, I got to play my first one in Hong Kong. Um, which what a great place to debut, you, man. Yeah, is, is the mecca of sevens, right? So it was a pretty special moment to me. And it's, you know, I'll never forget it. I mean, so you did score a try in Hong Kong. Yeah, wild. <laughs> just like it's not just, hey, I, I debuted in Hong Kong. It's like yeah. I also scored a try against England, which uh, who's like they're, they're struggling now, but they were good. They were, I remember they were number one in the world that day when we played them going into Hong Kong. And I was starting same position across from Ben Gollings, who, you know, all-time point scorer, most – whatever, you know, you name it, he's on top of the sevens list. Um, so it was kind of a surreal moment playing in front of, you know, 50,000 people across from Ben Gollings, who's, you know, arguably the best player, you know, one of the best top three sevens players to ever play the game. And ironically, was on the field with Matt Turner that day as well, who's become a very good man, friend of mine now. Matt Turner, the pole Wild, man. Places this game takes us. That's such a long time ago. I know. It's, it's really hard to it's really hard to fathom that, you know, so that was nine years ago. Like, yeah. Wow. yeah. I feel I feel so old now. <laughs> <laughs> the best part is you have a baby face. So I totally thought you were younger forever. Uh, I, I, was I, like, wish. I was like, and then I'm like, oh wait, we're like the same age. That's yeah, dirty. But so how did you balance, you know? coming into Chola Vista and going back to U of A and trying to complete your degree. Yeah, that was certainly tough. Uh, I don't know if it wasn't for my parents, I probably would have uh, maybe not finished school. So I'm glad I did. Um, but yeah, it was tough. My last um, two years or so were fully online. Um, so I was able to work things out with the school and everything to complete my major fully online. And um, they gave me a very select, few options of what I could study if I wanted to go that route. But at that point, I do political sense, which, you know, obviously is not in-person tests. It's more writing papers. And so I, you know, was writing papers. I'd be up at four o'clock in the morning participating in a discussion on my online forum and writing papers while sitting in the, you know, hotel lobby, um, which was the only place I could get Wi-Fi or whatever. Um, so it was an interesting time. And I mean, at first I was going back from Chula Vista to Arizona and, you know, doing that drive on a weekly basis, which was certainly an interesting college experience, but I, I'll meet people now and I'll tell them I went to U of A and they'll be like, Oh man, that's so crazy. You probably had such a good time partying and everything. And it was like, man, as soon as I turned 21, as soon as I became like age to go to bars, 2021, um, I wasn't even there, you know, I was playing rugby full time essentially. So um, this certainly made for a, an incredible experience. I couldn't um, imagine driving weekly between the yeah. center and, and Tucson. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd go out to Chula Vista for a week, come back for a week, train with U of A when I was here, go to school and drive back out for a week and do it all over again until, um, I guess it would have been 2010 when they made the sevens team full time was the first time. And I was a part of the first 10 or so guys, however many it was, that we all went um, full-time professional with that. And, uh, yeah, I made the move. And then that was when I had to work things out and go full full online and then completed my last year and a half or two years online. So what was that like? So before going full-time residency, I, think, I, try to talk, I think I talked to Matt 
uh, polar bear about this, like what it was like just trying to maintain a real job and then flying, yeah. you know, to 10 different yeah. tournaments. So what was like, what was that like when the team wasn't full time? How did you guys like sort of stay, a stay sane, B yeah. make money to, so you can feed yourselves and right. then also like go on tour. Yeah, for me, the money aspect was a little different because I was still a college student. So, uh, you know, I was incredibly lucky. My parents were able to help me out through that. Um, so, I mean, I still had my bills paid and whatnot. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you basically fly in. You have a week of camp. So Monday would be full-on fitness and everything. Um, and then you've got three or four days to try to make the team and then team selected. And then the guys who don't make it fly home on the, you know, that day. And the other guys go travel the world for three weeks. So it was pretty, uh, pretty hectic lifestyle, man. And it's, you know, you don't know if you're going to be gone for a month or you don't know if you're going to be gone for five, six days. So um, certainly made for an exciting, interesting, um, you know, college career. Um, and then for, for the guys at U of A, they didn't know if I was going to be available. If I didn't make a tour, I'd come back and play with them. So um, added a little stress to them as well. But obviously, you know, they wanted me to be out. Um, playing for the national team and whatnot, but uh, definitely a tough situation, but it was fun. I mean, I made some of the absolute greatest relationships I could ever ask for. met some incredible people, um, traveled to more countries than I, at the time I even knew existed. I mean, I, the first place I went, as you mentioned earlier, was Kenya. I mean, I was, I'd been a, you know, a kid grew up in the Midwest and went to school in Arizona and I'd only been to Mexico and Canada and then boom, I'm going to Kenya. And then later that year I went to Fiji. So uh, I'm sure in, you went to Canada before I did. Uh, what'd you say? You went to Canada before I did. I, I've never, I'd never been to Canada until August of this year. But oh, really? I have to say, I have to say the Great Lakes area in the summer yeah. is like. Yeah, yeah unreal, man. Yeah. Um, so Kenya, man. So you guys go play the Junior World Trophy. You were first year, first year playing rugby, right? So yeah. yeah. What was. I guess going to what was Ke like playing in that tournament like? Um, that, yeah, that was an experience. I mean, just getting to Kenya, and we we land, and at the airport, all the security guards, cops at the airport had AK forty sevens, and I'm looking around like, oh my god, like am I going to make it home? You know, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> uh, but that was such an unbelievable experience. I mean, just meeting people from different cultures, and as you know, in rugby, you, it's a you're blessed to you meet so many different people from different cultures around the world, but that was my first real immersion into um, a culture like that, and then playing teams like Namibia, Kenya, um, the Cayman Islands, and it's just all these guys from different parts of the world, and that was the first time I really like learned that you can feel, you can like sense how hard of an upbringing people have had by the way they play rugby. And it's, it's something else, man, to feel that um, come through a tackle. You know what I mean? They're just different people when you can feel that on a rugby field. And it was a, I mean, it was an experience I will take with me to the, you know, the day I die, I will never forget going to Kenya and spending 30 days in Kenya as a 19 year old kid, super lucky. And uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, Fat, you know, rewind a year before that trip, I would have told you I'd never be going to Kenya and much less to play rugby. I, I was like, especially with the Junior World Trophy, I, I don't think it's been in as many unique places as it was back, you know, way back yeah. then compared to, you know, I guess the 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 second tier of teams is so much stronger 
as right. um, age grade has gotten better that you don't end up with Kenya, the likes of Kenya making it through to get to right. the junior world trophy and, or in, cause you have to be competing in it before you can ever try to host it really. Right. Um, and they, and they were back then, but so, you know, you've finished that you, you have, well, before we go there, um, Playing on the sevens team and then also trying to play with U of A sevens, you end up being what was it in 2011? Um, I think so. The CRT. Where, 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 oh, yeah. The tournament? No, you had you had you scored most tries at the CRC, yeah, which is pretty why, wild because we got why eliminated in the quarterfinal, yeah. Like, I remember. I mean, the C. Well, I remember the first year of the CRC on TV, and it was in Ohio, and it was. Right. I think it was on. This was before NCAA lacrosse got huge, and it was on Memorial Day weekend. It was the only thing that was okay. on TV randomly, and I was watching it, and I was like, "This is great!" And then yeah. they moved the weekend to like June something, early June, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, well, I missed the first one." Um, I had shoulder surgery like um, two weeks before they announced the tournament. So I was bummed. I missed the first CRC, which is when we went to the final four um, and we lost to Cal eventually in the final four the first year. Um, and then we lost the quarterfinal to central Washington, five, nothing on, on day one, we outscore our opponents 88 to zero and go three and oh, and then day two, first game out, we lose five, nothing. It was like the ultimate letdown. Um, and then the last year, that I played, we uh, lost the final. And that was the game I broke my arm in the first, second minute or whatever it was. Yeah. What a bummer that did, you break, did you break both bones? No, just one. Oh, man. Yeah. At least it wasn't like, at least it wasn't like this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, what a bummer that was, man. So how much longer did you stay in residence after leaving U of A when you were done? Um, not long. Um, so I, I mean, you could ask my friends and family. They'll probably tell you I've retired from rugby four or five times. Um, so I left the sevens team, um, which would have been very beginning 2013, something like that. Um, and I went home, went back to Chicago, um, and I lived there for a little while. And then I got back. I played summer sevens with Chicago and had a blast. Um, and then I moved out to Seattle, which would have been the end of 2013. And that was when I got in with the – back then it was Seattle, Puget Sound Beach, uh, which then became, you know, Saracens and whatnot. So I've been playing mostly sevens with them, but I've been playing some 15 seasons, some 15s games here and there. Um, and then I'd gone back to the sevens team one time in 2014, which was Mike Friday's first tournament when we went to Gold Coast. Um, and then I had to have another shoulder surgery, so that put me put rugby on hold for a while. Uh, and then I went back prior to 2016 uh, to train for the Olympics um, and then unfortunately missed out on that. And then then shortly after that, I heard rumblings about this major league rugby thing happening. So they approached me and asked if I would play. And, you know, I said, if it whoa, happens whoa, whoa. before major league. So before we get to major league rugby, there was this game that you played where I'm like, and I remember saying, and I, I, for some reason, I thought you played much more during the that ARC. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> and for Mitch, and I was like, there was this game, and you were just, you scored a try, and I just remember the way you run 
I wouldn't say it's so elegant, but you glide through a defense when you have the ball and you just cut. It's, did you play hockey as a child? No, you know what? I always say that's the one sport I never played that I wish I'd played. Because it, it sort of felt like you're just skating. Yeah. Like, like, especially during season one when you were playing wing before you had that adventure at Scrum Half. <laughs> As like, just with the way you were playing in season one, I thought you would get called up again. Yeah. Like you were, you were like tearing it up. And so you end up playing for Mitchell. This was, I guess, his second year, right? 2017. Yeah. When did he come? 2016? Does that sound right? 2016, January. Yes, 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 and like, you know, capped like 80 people. During that first yeah. ARC. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I had been in when I was down in Chula Vista with the sevens team full time in 2016. Uh, he had approached me and wanted me to be a part of the team um, that played Scotland in that tour and then played Russia. And um, they did the, kind of the tour of California. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, I had a really bad high ankle sprain that essentially kept me out of competing for a spot for the Olympics. Um, that was the same time as this was going on. Um, so I went and trained and did my best with the 15s guys, but they just he just couldn't get me into the lineup with the injury. Um, and then I kept in touch with them, and they kept reaching out to me about things. And then um, I got the last-minute call-up for that game against Brazil down in Austin. Um, and, yeah, then that was the game you were referencing, which uh, was pretty wild. <laughs> hey, score to try, man. Like oh, Crazy. Oh. At least it wasn't what was it in 2016 where we, yeah, we lost that game. Right. That, yeah. 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 <laughs> we were lucky to win this one. I think we won 50 something, which is pretty funny, right? Yeah. I scored a tie at the last minute. We went 50 something to 10, and we, we're all, you know, celebrating like we just won the World Series in the last pitch or something. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, that, I, the ARC before the MLR, and that was the same year, I think, that, yeah, 2017 was the same year that the Huns won the D1 championship, and you guys uh -huh. were like, yeah, so that was, that was like right as things were starting to shift. Did you, right. so here's a good one. Did you ever think about playing in pro? When, um, you know, I totally would have. And I did think about it because I was down in San Diego and Chula Vista when that was all going on. But they wouldn't because the Olympics were so close, they wouldn't allow any of us to go play. And it would have been easy. Right. So San Diego had a team we could have gone and play. We went and watched all the games, but um, they just wouldn't release any of us to go play. Uh, a difference. It was such a man that and, and that one like pro was so weird just with yeah. the way things rolled out. And it's just. You know, and then, you know, I, I talked to some guys about it and, you know, Doug um, yeah. apparently always planned to pull plug. Really? Like there, yeah. Like all this fight with the union was all BS. It was like, yeah. he was just like, I'm done. And it was interesting because other, you know, other teams that are in MLR now had reached out to him to try and you know, I guess invest in his single entity league and yeah. own teams. And they were like, he was like, no, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> and then he just stopped paying people. And yeah. That's such a strange model, in my opinion, to have a sports league of five teams or whatever it was all owned by one individual instead of like, you know, sure. You could argue the MLR is all, all 
both teams are owned more or less by the MLR, but at least you have individuals making decisions for each of those teams. And then, I mean, what's to keep somebody who owns, owns all teams to stack one or whatnot. And it, it was just such a strange um, concept in my opinion. And, and you'd think he would try to then sell off teams, right. And that would be his exit strategy. Yeah. Um, I mean, I thought that was the whole, the whole idea is like, okay, you create right. this league and maybe you keep the five teams you have, but you sell operating licenses franchise and franchise those out. Yeah. Um, and then eventually you sell off the other teams as, as value um, right. as, as they gain value and whatnot. And then, you know, he's just like, no, nah, I'm good. Uh, I just remember it being on, um, I remember going, like it was on AOL. Um, okay. Of all places to be broadcast. Yeah. And, uh, oh, you're right. Yeah. yeah. And weird. I remember going into the field because I was, I was in the army at the time and I came back and it was no longer being broadcast on AOL. I guess they were still filming the games. Either they were being broadcast on YouTube, but I, I mean, I don't remember. I don't even remember. I have no idea. I, yeah. And then, you know, the league just shut down and, and you know, everything went haywire. And, and but, uh, you know, I think we're, you know, we're obviously in a better place today than we were. Uh, well, just you know, most recently, the news came out that the MLR is paying everybody. You know, that right yeah. there was a, yeah. a huge step in the right direction. And yeah. I mean, it's you know, obviously they were, they realized they were, you know, granted whether they were considering not paying or not, but if they were considering not paying, that, you know, they realized how difficult of a time it would be for this league next season to get going. Had you, I, I think you know, in, in general, like we're the MLR is in a place because of where salary, where salary load is that. I would say affording payroll is not for, for now is not a crazy thing to right. where you have to do the math and find out like how much less you have to pay people like in the premiership where all these clubs are like, it's either take less or take zero. Yeah. And, and, and it's not just to players. It's to everyone. Right. Like I think it's a like Gloucester, Wooster, Saracens. They're like every single person has to take 25% less. Or, or no one's getting paid. Yeah. Like, and, and I, you know, but that's, I mean, that's the reality, right? No games means no game day ticket yeah. revenue, no merchandise sales, no burgers sold, no beer sold. Um, your sponsors aren't going to want to pay. And this is for any sports league because I'm, I'm dealing with it right now with me talking to in MLB and like what they're trying to figure out. They're still trying to figure out how to get 162 game season, which is crazy. And, right? uh, you know, opening day would have been next week. And this thing is not going to be done. Did you see that Scott Boris tweet? And like, he was like, we would still play 162 games and it would be the world series game seven. If it existed, would be on Christmas day. How are you going to play Christmas? How are you going to play Christmas baseball in half the cities in the league? You know, I, I don't know. Right. Chicago, it might be negative twenty degrees. So yeah, it's this is such a crazy time. So yeah. go up to Saracens, play a little bit of fifteens, play a little bit of sevens. In fact, you play a lot of sevens. You played sevens this summer. Um, yeah, the the whack sevens champions. Yeah. That was fun. So, I mean, I, those uh, those summer sevens, man, are so much fun. I mean, you you pick five weekends out of the summer, and you're hanging out with twelve of your buddies playing rugby for a day, and then at the end, you get to go travel to a new city around the country, and 
you know, play a two-day tournament with your buddies and see so many guys that you've played with around the, you know, around the country at different times. Um, so those those seven summers are something. When I look back at rugby. I hated, I hated sevens. <laughs> well, it's brutal, right? It's an absolute brutal game. Well, it's, so, like, you're playing mostly in the Northwest. So, like, we yeah. would, when I was in El Paso, we would uh, – we, we had our own like inner like our own tournament like called yeah. Sun City Sevens. So we would split the clubs up. Uh, when I was on the Scorpions, it was just two, but we would split the clubs up. So the um, like the Scorpions would go into like East versus West side, and then the um, the Toads from which don't exist anymore. Talk about clubs just yeah, right. dying. The clubs from. Uh, the toads from up in um, Las Cruces would come down because it's like an hour and a half, and we would play at like nine o'clock at night, and it's still a hundred and five degrees. Uh, and that's why I hate sevens, uh, not because sevens isn't like sevens right now. Like when it's like seventy five is yeah, amazing. So, yeah. so sevens in Washington State in the middle yeah. of summer. Great time. It's fit it's it's fitness and and oxygen sucking, but it's not hell on earth. <laughs> Have you ever gone out and played Midnight Sevens in Vegas? Oh no, 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 no. There was there was, actually I played with Tempe when I went there. Really? When I was nice. in school, I went there was, a, there was a tournament we played uh Chupacabra Sevens in okay. um, I think it's like it's at midnight, so not okay. like, it's at midnight too, but it's in New Mexico. Gotcha. And it was just like, this is just hell. <laughs> <laughs> I would think at least in Vegas, in, in that respect, I, although, uh, in that respect, if you're going just to play club stuff, because we play, yeah. uh, my club plays um, the Las Vegas Irish in our division in the Arizona Union. So when you play, when you go home and away with them, at least you can kind of make a weekend of it. Right. Because um, you're just playing one game. And oh, right, then you right. can. Yeah, and then you can just come back and, and do whatever. So yeah. I've never done midnight sevens. That would be interesting. It was I, fun, man. Yeah, I played Salty. Had a, We actually had a team that year. We had um, myself. We had Ty Inosa playing. We had Brett Thompson playing. And Valu. Uh, and, wow. Like, yeah. that's, that was. Yeah. How did and you guys not, was, like, win? That, that, um, that, that would be that stacked. Like, yeah, that was probably the last year that I know of that Tempe made nationals. Uh, and unfortunately, I don't remember what I had going on, but I couldn't play at nationals, which was a bummer. We had both Thompson brothers, Tyanosa, uh, and there's a, and we had uh, man, what are their names? Two twin, maybe not twin, two brothers out of Tempe. There's uh, some good players, man. Tempe has a, a pretty good little population of some rugby players. I, I should remember, say, Phoenix. was it 2013? We drove our butts to uh to phoenix to play tempe in the playoffs um, yeah and we lost 75 to three. Oh. <laughs> then two years two years later when i was on the bliss team and i guess we we won head to head against uh the scorpions but had i don't know what the tiebreaker was but i think they scored more tries during the season and they ended up going to the playoffs instead of us and then they lost it was like 120 – no, it was 153 to 7. <laughs> what? That might be the worst score I've ever heard of in rugby. I was like, how does this happen? How do you like, score 150 points? I, I was That's like, crazy. 
It's like at, at set, it was a seventy-five to three. I was like, you can't score more than that. How do you score I, more? I than was that? like, yeah. at that in that game, I was like, ref, um, blow the whistle, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and then like then seeing that score, you know, the two years later, and I'm like, like where where was the referee? Because once it's yeah. like over a hundred, once it's over a hundred points, like, for me. I mean, Mercy we're role. talking. We're talking amateur rugby. We're not talking. Yeah. No one's getting paid. Nothing. Right. It's like, just can we just agree that it to be over and let's go have the social? Like, yeah, let's go have a beer. Let's just end this. So, you know, all right. So we get to MLR for you, man. And what was when you're you're working in construction? You're flipping homes. You end up, you know, you, ah, man. So you're playing on the wing, and then the AC happens from half. So the whole season was very interesting for you guys. Uh, what was it? The, the way I talk about it this, this year, especially with the way last year happened, is like, well, you have to lose to the team twice if you're going to beat them. Right. Oh, thanks. <laughs> if you're going to beat them in the championship, yeah. you have to lose to them twice in the season. Well, I think that's like the perfect analogy for us for in Seattle. It's like we have the talent, we have the people in positions to win games, but it's, you know, it's like we show up when we need to. You know what I mean? Like when our back's against the wall is when we do our best. The one thing I've always said about this team that's always impressed me the most is the resiliency. Um, and so, you know, when it backs up against the wall, I mean, that first final, we were, we were down by two tries to Glendale with 20 minutes left in the game. And we, they scored two real quick tries to go up on us. And I mean, at that point, it'd be pretty easy for a team to, you know, go away and, and you know, end the season that way. But for us to come back and we bounced back and scored two tries immediately after them um, and then went on to win the game. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. I, Rocky I mean, wants you back, man. <laughs> You know what? Had this season not been cut early, I would have said for sure I'm not coming back. Uh, but I don't know, man. It gave me that itch again. You know, I thought I was in a good place retiring and then, you know, to get sucked out of retirement so quick. And uh, Well, I would have believed I, you if you didn't play summer sevens. Yeah. Well, so I, I don't know if I'd played summer sevens if I didn't miss the back half of the second the season last year, you know, because uh, I didn't want to, you know, end my career like that and, you know, going out on an injury like that. So. Um, and like I said, seven is so much fun, but, um, yeah, I don't know if anybody ever believes me when I say I'm retiring anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, first season gets interesting, lose again, Glendale twice. And you talked about being down two tries. I remember it's like, it was, I remember taking my, my in-laws to this game, not, not her parents, but my uh, brother-in-law and, gotcha. and sister-in-law to this game, like the game, it was their first rugby game ever. And it was oh, the game, inaugural. Yeah, inaugural MLR final. And yeah. uh, it was just – I remember last year, or especially in season one, um, be like, Aaron hates the Seawolves. So like, <laughs> I was like, I don't hate anybody. Like, I really don't care. Yeah. And I just, uh, like I tell this to everyone, it's like, I am literally a neutral. I like yeah. – maybe I like certain people better because I'm friends with them, but right. I don't really care who, who wins or loses, especially – you know, with my position, it's like as long as the league continues to be able and grows right. and more young men are able to get paid to play rugby and more, I would say Americans specifically or people who have made their live here, lives here, 
can get paid to coach, then then the project. I, I am a fan of the project. Yeah. And unless I'm in a city with a team, which I'm not, then I'm not really gonna get um that tribal. Right. Although I will say, um, there is a Utah jersey right there with a Sea Wolves scarf. Okay. All right. On it, and right. uh, Rocky. I have a hat somewhere from the Sea Wolves too. Carly sent up, and then Rocky uh, sent me a a mini Rocky, which is uh, he's downstairs hanging out with uh, Wally. Of, uh, of, the, of the Wallabies yeah. and, and Rookie Eagle. Okay. <laughs> got a weird. Yeah, all of them. We have, yeah. So, like, we got all the Hunya when it comes to rugby up in this house. But so, you know, and then last year you guys kind of do it again, but you get knocked, like, you get knocked out, break your nose. What was, like, you, you had a pretty good start to the season. Yeah, I mean, it was solid for sure. Um, I feel like that San Diego game that ended my season was the best I'd played, so I was kind of starting to feel myself again and, you know, really be able to make a difference on the field, and then, bam, it was done. So it was super frustrating. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we had a – as a team, we were doing all right. Um, I mean, last year was kind of crazy, right? Nola was out to a huge lead to start the season, and then they don't make playoffs – um, and then obviously everyone thought after that it was San Diego's thing. And, you know, Toronto's obviously always going to be solid as long as they're the only team up at Canada. Um, so it's just, uh, especially with only a two game playoff system and now it's three, uh, but with a two game playoff system, I mean, it's just whoever peaks at the right time. You know what I mean? Like just like the NFL that's why you have wildcard teams that have won championships before. Um, and so for us, it's just, you know, when our backs up against the wall and it's, lose or go home is when we tend to play our best rugby. So fortunate in that, but you know, it certainly makes the rest of the season a little bit stressful. Like, I mean, even this year starting out the season one and, you know, we were one and four when the season, you know, unfortunately ended, but I don't think there was a soul in our locker room that thought there would be, you know, we thought we would be in the chance. We would be, you know, same place, you know, we'd be in the playoffs again and we'd be taking the second seed in the West. Cause you know, reality was San Diego was going to be too tough to catch at five and Oh, um, but, you know, there's no doubt in our camp that we weren't going to be that second seed and having a home playoff game. I think the biggest, and you can talk about this, uh, you know, consistency of system. And, and people have, I don't think, what was it, uh, Ben Darwin, he's an, an analyst. Um, he does a lot of rugby league stuff. Um, he does a lot of rugby union stuff. I think the consistency matrix, and he looks at um, he looks at teams and how consistent their lineup is and how well that feeds into winning. Okay. And he, he throws out some different things when super rugby's on and you kind of like look at the metrics and I was like, this is interesting. And one of the things that, and then I talked to another friend of mine and he talks about the spine. And if you look at the spine of your team in season one, you had a spine highly experienced, and in some cases, mostly most of those players, like uh, you know Phil and uh, what's his name? How do I not Raimondo Barquil? Oh yeah, I had a feeling that's who you're referencing. Raimondo Barquil, the the and like you have these guys who who've played together for years, and then right. you know you have a very talented number eight in, in Reichert. And then you have Shalom and, you know, you have Matt Turner. So you have this very talented spine that can get 
the team threw a lot of stuff if you got a lot of rookies, but you didn't have a lot of rookies either. Right. Like yeah, you had a bunch old, of guys like the I think we been the oldest senior. Yeah, yeah. It was like yeah. and you had all the Seattle guys you had played for years, and then you had a few other non-Seattle guys thrown in, but in right. addition to the Canadians who had also played with or against each other for years. Right. Um, so but I would say, like, for you, you still went with the team places. I mean, we, we hung out at the at the final. Like, what was – you You were telling me you were you were trying to make the team for the final, right? Oh, right, you were, yeah. prob- you were probably like, Richie, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was trying. So I got cleared officially with two games left in the regular season. Um and I mean, I was, you know, I, I mean, at that point I hadn't been able to do anything cause they weren't, they wouldn't let me get my heart rate up, um, until my headaches went away. Um, so, you know, to their, you know, to be fair, I probably wasn't fit. Um, but I was certainly trying, um, uh, and they, the strength that came down to the strength and conditioning coach, not wanting to put me on the field. Um, and then our playoff game against Toronto, um, is when Matt Turner had his baby. And so he had to pull out a lineup last minute. And so I was standing by my cell phone, hoping to get it, you know, see Richie's name pop up on my phone. Um, but unfortunately it didn't happen for me. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was certainly wanting to do it. I mean, no, no athlete wants to go out and end their career, um, or uh, even a season on an injury. So at that point I wasn't sure if it would end my career or not. Um, so I definitely wanted to get back, but you know, it wasn't in the cards for me. Well, then we get into the whack, right? So you guys end up, I mean, talk about a tournament is as ruthless as it can be in the same sense that probably the last format of Rugby World Cup 7 is. And you guys go to club nationals and you just put a blitz on it. So yeah. what was, you know, what what was all that like? Um, mean, you that were I remember you see I was like oh there, there's Tibbs playing again maybe we can convince him to come back it wasn't wasn't too hard <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean you look at the team we had is like is unreal I mean look how many caps we have on the sevens World Series how many national championships that team has I mean Matt you got Matt Turner Shalom well Shalom wasn't playing but he was coaching you got Mike Pelafal who's been you know a staple of US sevens for ten years now. Um, you know, myself, uh, Eric Duchelle, who's got sevens and fifteens cats. Um, so I mean, we had some absolute athletes and rugby players on that team. So it was more of just when you get guys that and they're, you know, older and they've had some success, it's tough to really get them to buy in. But I think that's what we did such a good job of this summer was kind of, you know, you know, shut your mouth and work hard. You know, this isn't going to be easy. Sevens winning a sevens tournament is never easy. It's a brutal, brutal task. Um, and so it was, you know, shut your mouth, work harder type type atmosphere, which is, you know, probably unique to what we've had in Seattle Sevens in the past, which is, you know, we had a run where we won three national championships in a row. And then I think it was two or three years past where we had lost a final. We lost a semifinal. Um, and so we hadn't won a championship. And, and unfortunately, we hadn't won one for the WAC yet, which they treat us so well here in Seattle that we certainly wanted to get that done for them. Um so this year it was kind of like, all right, we need to, it's put up or shut up for the whack, you know, let's get it done. Um, and we had some guys really, you know, answer the call. And I look at Mike Pelafal myself and he was the most impressive to me this summer. He was, 
you know, he's been such a phenomenal rugby player for, you know, I've known him for 12 years now. And I think he's been one of the best rugby players I've known over that 12 years. Um, and for him to come in and just really, you know, know his role and do what he, you know, do what he does best was awesome to see. Um, so he, he, yeah, impressed me a ton this summer. And we had two young kids up here, both play at AIC, Tommy Clark and Louis, uh, blanking on Louis's last name. Tommy uh, Clark's a player. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, if you haven't voted for player of the year, vote for him. Um, but he's both of them were, you know, a great injection of youth into our team and, um, you know, pushed everybody just a little bit harder. So it was fun to see, you know, we've been so old. We're the oldest team everywhere we go now. <laughs> so, uh, it's nice to see those young guys come in and it's, you know, it makes it worth your while. And when, it, you know, when you look back on your time with this, you know, you look at those guys and see what you were able to, uh, you know, help them achieve in the slightest way that, you know, we've been able to, to help them. And, you know, you kind of pass the torch and now it's their turn to, you know, play in the MLR, play college All-Americans, maybe go to a national team, whatever it is. Um, so it was kind of fun being on, you know, this, side. you know, for so long, I felt I was on the other side, you know, learning from people and everything. So at this point now, I'm finally able to pass what I've learned and, uh, you know, help guys achieve the next step. So then we get to February and uh, I see this post on, uh, oh, no, Carly, Carly texted me. She's like, pay attention to like our social or something. Like, I was like, okay, whatever. Hang on one sec. I got to plug my computer in one sec. Oh, got one of those ladies and gentlemen. He's running out of juice. Any questions for Tibbs for the audience, please type them in. We will, uh, we will try to answer them, um, as best we can. But uh, hope you guys have enjoyed it. I've enjoyed this one recently because Tim's is so great. All right, um, good. but so I, I get I get a, I get a text message from Carly and she's like, "Hey, watch our watch our social. There's there's a big announcement coming." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "What?" You and I had talked the day I agreed to come back, and I was almost gonna tell you, but I was like, oh, "I'll I'll I won't, I'm not gonna say it. I'm not gonna say it." I was like, "What the <laughs> heck?" I I was like, "I don't wear suit out." What the heck? Oh, nah, I think everybody had that same reaction. So, what? So, who? Who was the person that got you to come back? Probably Matt Turner. He's been bugging me ever since before preseason. Uh, texting me weekly about it, calling me about it, and uh, Shane Skinner's become a good friend of mine as well. Um, and so he really wanted me to come back and. You know, obviously the team had some incredible, you know, just incredibly unlucky with some injuries they had preseason. I think of the new signings they had, all but one was injured at one point to start the season. Um, so obviously straining on any team. Um, and so it's kind of a combination of the guys wanting me to come back and then that happening. And, you know, still, you know, I don't say I don't feel like I have unfinished business with rugby, but the way things ended for me last season certainly wasn't the way I wanted things to end. So kind of a combination of the guys nonstop bugging me and, you know, the season not going well for the guys out the gate. And then, you know, some personal feelings about how I ended my season last year. So here we are. You know, so, so now we're, we get in, into the season and play right away. Yeah. You know, what is, Obviously, it's like, you know, 
I'm not going to do this unless I'm going to play. But for yeah. you, like, how, how did you, I mean, most guys, I mean, you were part of this club before, but how do you approach coming in to set the tone for yourself to just, I guess, earn it and, you know, make it happen? Yeah, I think um, that's pretty good. Quite like, so I knew coming in, like, I had to take this serious. Like, it was, you know, this is these guys' livelihood. You know, this is how they pay their bills. This is, you know, as serious as it gets for these guys. And so when I originally came back, I went to a couple of trainings and it was literally just to help out, give them an extra number in training and just kind of run around um, so they could run whatever they needed to run and have a proper, you know, scout team offense or defense, whatever they're needed. Um, and, you know, I, I, I understand the seriousness of the situation. So um, I came in and, you know, as professionally as I could in meetings and everything. And then on the field um, playing as well as I could. And then I, you know, they saw that I was still training well, could still compete. Um, and then the Wednesday before the new England game, I get a call from Phil and he says, uh, Hey, so are you, you actually want to play? Like, would you be up for it? And I was like, yeah, I guess. So just let me know so I can let my mom know because she's going to have a heart attack. If I don't tell her. <laughs> um, and so he's like, all right, well, are you comfortable on the wing this weekend? And I was like, yeah, you know, of course. Like that's, you know, in 15 is the position I've probably played the most in at least the second half of my career. Um, and then uh, he's like, all right, well, you're going to be covered for scrum half as well. And I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. And then he's like, well, that means you have to play all 80 minutes. And I was like, whoa, yeah. I, I for, for both of these things. Um, but I, I mean – I've always wanted to play all 80 minutes. I've never wanted to come in late or end the game early. So, um, you know, I was happy to do it. And, you know, thankfully I was in decent enough shape that I was able to get by game one. Oh yeah. Decent enough shape. He says, <laughs> just trying to get by. Um, but just, this is so in two games, it, you, you did pretty well for yourself, uh, in, uh, in your first game back against new England. Um, you find yourself with in the right spot to take the ball in on one of those, you score a try. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's 80 minutes and a score first game back after, you know, not playing a lot. Cause I'm guessing you didn't play a lot with the Saracens. Um, no. Yeah. I didn't, don't think I touched a rugby ball since sevens ended over the summer. So I, did, I mean, at that point I was done, you know, like that was honestly, you know, honestly thought I was done. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, I was keeping myself in shape, probably not, certainly not the regimen the guys were on, but um, playing a little pickup basketball, still getting into the gym and whatnot. So um, it wasn't a complete shock to the body, but not that it wasn't. And not, not a uh, not the same game, but your second game, you play 48 minutes, carve it up, five carries, 81 meters, a tackle break, an offload, you know. So not not too bad for you know some old broke joint. <laughs> <laughs> it was a shame. So my back, my I got uh, I got I don't know somehow I fell and my back started spasming immediately, which is why I eventually wow. came out of the game. Um, but it was a shame because I felt like I was like, all right, I hit my stride. I'm feeling good. I'm, you know, I'm getting comfortable back on the field. And then it was boom, you know, my back tightened up. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I never like to come out early, but, um, when I was coming out, I was super excited. So we have the two brothers this season, CT and Suli. Yeah. Um, and so CT had played monsters, absolute monsters. Yeah. 
And so CT had played and then got injured in the New England game. So that gave an opportunity to his brother, Suli, to play. Um, so I knew me coming off meant Suli was going to get an opportunity. And to be, I mean, CT played out of his mind in the two or three games he played in. And who knows, Suli could be even better. So it was super exciting for me that knowing these guys are getting an opportunity. Because I, So I, I came here to Seattle to the very first Serevi rugby camp. And those guys, I think, were in high school. Um, and they were high school football recruits. And both of them went and played college football. Um, and so I knew these guys way 10, 15 years ago, whenever it was when I met them. Um, and then it's kind of come full circle now that, you know, we're sharing the same jersey. Um, and super excited for the opportunity these guys have. Because they are absolute monsters. I was like, I, I wasn't sure how they didn't get picked up um, yeah. last year by anyone yeah. was like because they were talk about i would say not diamonds high like in the rough just sort of because they hadn't played rugby because they both right. you know, both had just left college football that probably no one took a chance on them and right. of course you know things happen for a reason and you know they end up getting pulled into the sea wolves but if if there are so many guys like them in this country, right? Guys who were all Americans and went and, you know, there's a kid at Washington state who was a high school all American and he's a freshman this year who, and he's a defensive end. Okay. So is this guy going to, and I talked, I, I, I tell some of these, I tell some of the, I tell some of the coaches like who to track because yeah. like, like these kids, if they don't make it to the NFL, they are like the best athletes. All right. that play oh, absolutely. Rugby like that played rugby in this country in their age grade, you need to get them because they, right. they've just had four years, three or four years of, of NCAA football strength and conditioning. And they will just be, be monsters, monsters. Uh, yeah. you know, and, uh, and you, and you want, we want to bring all those guys back, right? Cause rugby outside of places like Cal, U of a Lindenwood life, uh, you know, like the top eight programs, they don't get that same attention um, that you know an NCAA team gets. Even even these like none of these rugby players are getting the same attention as their NCAA counterparts, but they're getting right, of course. something, right? Yeah. Like you look at, I mean, you look at U of A, what they do in strength and conditioning now versus what they did in strength and conditioning, you know, ten years ago is a little right. bit different, right? You know, and, and I mean the. the you know, it's getting more, you know, quote unquote professionalizing. That's not the best term to use with college sports, but, uh, you know, just becoming a more, you know, look at a true NCAA sport, you know, it's closing that gap, you know, and, uh, you know, you look at a school like U of A when I went there, you know, um, or just slightly before I got there, they trained in Esteban, Esteban Park, which is, you know, not, not in the best part of town, not the best place to be playing games. And then we got onto an actual school owned facility and, you know, now they have their own field on campus right next to the rec center, which is huge, right? Because, you, you know, no college kid's going to come to a game if they have to get a cab or an Uber, you know, 15 minutes away. So just I can go work out and then go watch a rugby game. So uh, things are certainly progressing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, being able to take advantage of those athletes, just like CT and Suli when those guys got out of college and, um, you know, fair play, they took advantage of a free education, which obviously they should never pass up. But you know, when they do get out of it to come back to rugby is huge for the game. Cause I mean, in, in a year's training with the Seawolves, not even, 
you know, look what they've been able to accomplish just on, just based off pure athleticism. Yeah. Yeah. So Richard Lehman um, asks, uh, how do you, how do you think the talent team was gelling with the new coach in this? And I try to explain this to people that the Seagulls basically in a span of two years had five coaches <laughs> and three different SNC coaches. Right. So how, like getting to like, so how do you gel with the newest one is, is kind of difficult because you've had so many. Right. You, that you guys accomplished a lot, not on your own, but in a way kind of. it was in spite of, in spite of the situation. Yeah. Well, that was, that was kind of it. like the first year, right. We had a coach come in, couldn't get a visa, went through all that. Um, and so they, you know, kind of like what I mentioned before, we're a resilient group, you know? And so like, you know, the more, more that doesn't go our way kind of, you know, you, you bind together even tighter, right? Like in the face of adversity, what do you do? And so, you know, we only had one thing Well, you know, we had a training very early on that went super late. And so the first year we were training seven to 10 PM. Um, it was brutal. We had a meeting at seven, get out of there at nine 30, 10, something like that. Uh, and we had a training that was going late and guys just weren't taking it serious. And we just, we, you know, called the huddle and we just unloaded on each other. And it was like, look, what are we doing out here? This is before we played any games. And it's like, what are we trying to get out of this experience together? Like guys, got, most of the guys we're working at this point on the team full time have to be up at six o'clock in the morning. It's 10 o'clock at night right now. Like we don't need to be out here doing this unless we're going to do it right. And then I think that just kind of set the tone for that first season and credit to the, the group of guys we have. We've been able to carry it over. But um, going back to Keys and how we've been gelling with Keys is he's such a different type of coach than we've had. So first year it was Phil Mack, you know, he was our coach. And then we had some um, contracted coaches brought in from Atavis, which were great. Um, but it was mostly, you know, Phil was making calls at the end of the day. So he's one of the boys. Like I, I played against Phil for 10 years. Um, so I've known him for a long time and he's a, you know, more of a, a peer of mine than, you know, an elder. Um, so it was, it made for a very interesting dynamic, but we were very professional about it. Um, and I think it made us closer, but then keys comes in and very different than Richie is keys is a very, um, you know, no BS. This is how we're doing it. Uh, a much kind of stricter, um, type of coach where Richie is very easygoing and, you know, kind of lets you sort things out on your own. Um, whereas keys is very much the opposite. Um, but I know the guys had absolute respect for keys and I like the way things were going. And to be honest, I think we need a little bit more of that uh, structure in our coaching um, because we are such an easygoing group of guys that we have, you know, one person at the front of the ship steering us in the right direction, I think is what we needed. Um, obviously we weren't quite putting it together on the field at this point, but um, you know, I did feel good about things and I think that we were turning the ship around and um yeah, I, I really like Keys. I know the boys respect him a ton, and I think he was probably the right fit for us at the moment. It's just a shame that we're not getting to see, you know, this picture get painted and seeing what, you know, the final product would have looked like. I mean, it's not like for, for you guys, it's not like you weren't out of the the four – well, one of the games you guys were out. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> But like the other three games, they were competitive, and if, right. if you don't give up a penalty here um, or make a kick here, then right. you're looking at you know a two and a two and three record or a three and two record or right. even a four and one record. So you weren't playing awful, except in right. really one game, and 
if you look at if you analyze what you did, there were ways to make that respectable, if not, you know, just the way things were working at, in that game. That it, you know, not to say that you could, you know, horseshoes and hand grenades. You wouldn't have been the Sea Wolves wouldn't have been five and zero, right? Um, but it was things were close enough that you know one and four with a coin flip isn't the record. It could be three and two or right. four and one. You yeah. Know? And I mean, there was no doubt in our locker room that we weren't going to be around at the end of the season. Um, you know, look at that Utah game. Uh, we defend, I, what does the game go? 89 minutes, I think it went. Yeah. Uh, was, and, you know, just don't I, commit penalties inside the <laughs> five meter. That's a, that's a conversation off air, but um, <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, unbelievable, you know, grit and determination from the guys who defend, you know, 10 minutes inside their own 22 and, you know, obviously some penalty issues and whatnot. Um, but if that doesn't show you heart, man, that's unbelievable to see what those guys are doing. And from, and from both teams, I mean, uh, Utah could have gone and kicked and taken the tie easy. They had probably three or four chances, you know, a very makeable kick. Um, and for them to go for, which is what people want, right? They want to see the, play for a win. American sports don't end in ties. You know what I mean? America doesn't want to see that. Um, so credit to them for doing it. But uh, I mean, seeing those boys work so hard uh, for 10 extra minutes, whatever it was, was uh, pretty unreal. You know, when you're part of a group like that, that's not, you know, not going to throw in the towel when times get tough. It's, you know, it makes it so much easier to show up for training. It's so much easier to put your neck on the line, you know, and, you know, going out on a rugby field isn't the, sanest thing in the world you know it's a pretty scary thing at times you know there's some real consequences that can happen so if you know you've got guys behind you willing to do the same thing for you it makes it so much easier um so that performance was so um uh inspiring i guess to watch that last 10 minutes from the sideline it was like yeah okay you know this is the type of people i want to be around these are the type of people that i'll you know do the same thing for so i mean that like take away the penalties that kept that thing going the defense uh in that 10 minutes in like inside 10 meters uh before you get to the the goal line it was very good but what did you and what we did you think what did you think of like did you see john cullen like cuz i saw it on television it's like he's like we're, we're, we're not going, we're not kicking. Uh, I saw them instantly start pointing to the sideline. So at first, when they called the first penalty, I was like, oh man, a tie, like this game is going to end in a tie. And then I saw them point to the sideline. I was like, all right, this is interesting. Um, I mean, I like that move. I mean, if we were on, you know, if, you know, things were reversed. I'd hope we would kick for a line out and not tie. Um, well, and especially in that, in the reality, it's only one extra point. You know, had we tied instead of losing with a bonus point try and losing a close enough game. So we, we were getting two bonus points out of that. And it was going to happen either way for either team. Yeah. So it's only an extra point. Whereas if you gamble and go for the win, you get a five point win. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I love John. So John and I lived together for a year or so. Um, so it's always fun when he comes up. We caught up after the game and everything. But uh, I mean, I like that move, to be honest. Yeah, so, well, I uh, don't have any other questions, but, uh, hey, Peter, thanks for coming by. Yeah, I'm glad we can finally do it. And hopefully uh, you play in 2021. <laughs> hopefully my mom's not watching. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, um, you never know, man. I don't, I'm not saying no. I'm not saying yes at this point. But I'll tell you, this point last year, or let's say this point a month ago, is a lot better chance of me saying yes than it was a month nice. ago. Um, well, uh, I I wore Matt Turner out. Um, the other week because I didn't I didn't tell him this when I ran my marathon because it was during the season. Yeah, but, uh, I'm two hours faster at a marathon than Are you? Turner is. So, yeah, so Matt was uh, he was training a little bit mostly on the treadmill and and then uh, he was texting our group our guys group chat on as he was running the marathon and he's like, man, this is the last six miles is so much harder than I ever. Oh thought. gosh, the last oh I I, I agree. I hit mile seventeen because it was it was here not obviously in New York but yeah. in New York in the fall. It's like I did I was at like my I would say is mile seventeen is sort of when I broke. It okay. was like good, yeah. and then it just was like walk, run, yeah. walk, and you still run. got him by two hours. Yeah, <laughs> Johnny, <laughs> John, John Wayne Cullen, John Wayne Cullen says he loves you too. Oh, <laughs> so um, nice things about him since he's listening. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so and then I still got him by. I was gonna, I was gonna text him. I was like, hey. Why are you so slow? You're a world class athlete. <laughs> but then I then I was like, hey man, since you got so much but then it was it um last week, I was like, since you got so much time on your hands, you gotta gotta work on this marathon time. And then he's <laughs> and then he's like, Okay, but then we should run New York together. I was like There you go. I was like, maybe. He was trying to get me to do it with him last year, but hmm, I don't know. Maybe another time. It's, it's I, a marathon's a lot. I would say I felt worse. Uh, after the marathon than I've ever felt playing rugby. Really? Like straight up. Yeah. Like, so, um, well, uh, you know, maybe we do this uh, another time when you uh, we uh, we see you play again. Yeah, um, absolutely, man. We're going to peer pressure Peter Tiberio <laughs> into coming back for 2021. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, apparently, you know, it's like retired eight times, comes back every time. He's like a he's like golden retriever. <laughs> yeah, seriously, she can't stay away. Yeah. So, well, uh, everyone, if you like the show, please uh, like uh, the the page um, and even uh, subscribe on our iTunes feed. And uh, we'll try to get more of these out here. And uh, thank you very much, the legend Peter Tiberio. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate it. This has been Lineouts by Earful of Dirt. Connect with Earful of Dirt online. We're on Facebook and Twitter at Earful of Dirt. You can email us at earfulofdirt at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail at 720-600-2679. For Aaron, Dan, and Victor, I'm Corey. Thanks for listening.